Hey, everybody, Saul Marquez with the Outcomes Rocket. I wanna welcome you back to our podcast today. I have the pleasure of having Katie Lancaster on the podcast. She is a health tech product leader on a mission to make it simpler and more affordable to deliver and receive high quality care. Currently, she is an advisor at Redesign Health, where she supports early stage health tech companies with product strategy and value proposition, data acquisition and management, and many of the things that involve going to market. Uh, Katie began her career in a variety of for-profit and nonprofit settings across the U.S. and globally, and uh, so excited to have her here on the podcast today. Katie, welcome to the Outcomes Rocket. Thanks so much, Saul. I'm thrilled to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. And so before we we dive into, you know, some of the work that you do on the advising side, talk to us about what led you into healthcare. Yeah, it's funny that it took me a while. I think we all find our paths differently, but in retrospect, it should have been obvious. I actually, I come from a family that's worked in health system design, um, both on my mom and dad's side, but I really trace it back to a, a personal experience. I I love the outdoors and I was doing a technical ascent of Mount Shasta um, and we had a, an accident. My guide was hit by rockfall and we oh, had wow. to quickly organize a really technical evacuation. So picture, you know, a sled on a snowfield and a helicopter to 8,000 feet and, and all of this. So fortunately, it turned out well. Uh, he, he made a full recovery, but it it really built in me an awareness that I needed to have some skills. And it started me on a path to becoming an ambulance volunteer, becoming a wilderness first responder, and just having a passion for emergency medicine in general. And then I think like many of us, you know, we start to work in the field and we have a desire to maybe solve things at a more systemic level. So I, I kind of worked through some time at international public health and then, you know, realized there was a lot of work here to do back in the United States and have been kind of focused here for the past decade, really enjoying, really enjoying getting to be in the field at a moment that's so dynamic uh, and interesting. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And wow, what a story. So you were, you were 8,000 feet up. Are you, that, that's like uh, intense. That's intense. <laughs> it was, and there. I was 16, so. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's incredible. That's incredible. Well, you know, glad the outcome was good. And certainly those those life-changing situations that could push you in any direction, it pushed you into healthcare. And today you're very focused, it sounds like, on value-based care. So talk to us about what you see as the promise of value-based care contracting. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, I, I've worked kind of lots of different parts of what we talk about as value-based care, right? We can just, let's say for the sake of argument, it's we're just talking about aligning provider incentives to quality and, and care cost reduction kind of writ large. And the, the promise I see there is really that it's taking two historical players. You know, you've got the provider who's seeing the patient and then you've got the payer who's really seeing the patterns and it's putting them on the same team. And they haven't historically always been on the same team. Um, kind of over the past decades, there's been this sort of, ugh, it might be dramatic to call it an arms race, but like everyone's grabbing tools to try to figure out how they maximize reimbursement. And it hasn't ultimately been really at the best interest of the patient. And it's helped drive a lot of what we see in this like massive administrative expense. 
that sort of bloating for healthcare costs. So for me, the promise of value-based care is really allowing a lot of innovation and care models that are focused on improving outcomes and then creating ways for those to be paid for that bring together the payer and the provider kind of on the same team with a, a really aligned collaborative structure. Um, so that, I think, is really exciting, but of course, it's also very hard. A lot of pain points in, in that process. Uh, many times, you know, payers and providers are at odds. Reimbursement and denials and, you know, it Prior just... authorizations it, and, yeah, it's, you know, payment integrity programs. It, they all have the best intentions, but when you start to layer them all on top of each other, you get an administrative nightmare. Yeah. So so let's talk about some of those barriers. You know, what what are they? How do we overcome them? Yeah, I actually want to just really kind of focus on the contracting process because I think it's one of those really, um, you know, it's it's not the sexiest part of the problem, but it has some major barriers to really helping us accelerate um, the value-based care contracts and, and particularly the ones that are going to be more of those upside downside risks, which are still, you know, lagging behind as, as kind of part of the overall market. So value-based care contracting is, it's really hard, right? And two of the reasons it's really hard are these, the transaction costs to get it done and kind of related challenge of the data access to be able to make it happen. So if you think about, you know, I, there's a, a recent post from Emily Walker, actually, that does a great job kind of talking through her experience at Geisinger and, and Elevance doing this work. And um, she talks about, you know, her analytics team used to get 36 data requests a week to support the value-based care contracting process. And those had a 12 to 48-hour turnaround time. So you're talking enormous numbers of man hours to be able to facilitate the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, that then kind of extends the the overall calendar time, right? You might get a fee-for-service contract done in maybe like three to six months. Value these care contracts are taking sometimes nine months to two years. It's like three and a half to five times longer. And that's a real drain on being able to to make these happen. Yeah, it's a it's a huge drain, and uh, and I think a big reason why there hasn't been as many as there could be, um, and, and and there's there's a lot of I think appetite for for doing it, and and certainly um, we're moving closer to that. So so talk to us about solutions that could be emerging to help with a lot of the friction that exists on just getting started. Yeah, you're you're exactly right, Saul. There is some really new and exciting emerging technologies around this. Um, the company that I most recently uh, was working with called Nuna Health is one. There's also Syntax, which is where uh, Emily Walker, who I just mentioned as a co-founder, um, Accorded and Adifax are are two others. And there are there are more out there, I'm, I'm sure, but those are those will give you sort of an idea of the fact that there have been a lot of new entrants, mm-hmm. and all of these folks are are coming forward with solutions within the past, say, three to four years. So it's it's pretty new, and a lot of the health plans um, and even some of the other more specialty 
uh, physician groups don't necessarily know that they're there. And what these tools generally do is they're going to help um, both entities be able to better understand and model the different types of complex contract terms on either a sort of corpus of like generic industry data or potentially on your actual claims data and claims experience. So one of the ways these tools can vary is based on that sort of element. Like, is this your data or is this a more general data set? But ultimately, they'll help you be able to sort of see um, a shared understanding of like, let's look at who the population might be. Let's see what happens when if we exclude a certain subcategory of spend, which is a common thing that happens during contracting. You know, you pull off certain uh, spend categories or you change your attribution method. Hey, um, show me what would happen if we attributed based on geography versus, say, most recent primary care visit. These are the sort of brass tacks of what's happening in the contracting process. And you can imagine it's really difficult to see how all those things are interacting when you're trying to manage the whole process with spreadsheets flying back and forth and data polls that maybe use slightly different logic and you realize you made a mistake, you got to go back to the drawing board. Um, so these tools are helping to pull all that together, put it in one place and often allow it to be a shared conversation between both sides of the contracting party. Folks, we'll, we'll leave them in the show notes so you could explore them. Maybe you've heard of them. And this is a reminder that you got to check them out further. And maybe you haven't and you want to get these contracts into place, operationalize them in a, in a lighter way. Uh, check these out. I think these are it's great, great tips here, Katie, that you've shared with us. Any tactical advice on, on adopting one of these solutions? A couple of things are, that I would suggest that you look for as you're trying to understand what value you're going to try and get out of this tool. And this is really going to depend on things like, you know, are you a large integrated delivery system that is engaging in lots of different contracts with multiple different payers? Are you a smaller, more specialized, um, you know, organization that's looking to take on risk for one very specific population, but you want it to be a sort of standard contract that you're signing with everyone you're working with? Are you a health plan that's actually managing hundreds potentially of, of contracts with provider organizations? So remember that these tools, I think, work for everyone. Think about what your organization type is and, and what you might need. And then I think sort of some kind of really practical questions are going to be around, you know, are you willing to actually share your data with this organization? Um, because that one, there's some additional risk, but there's also additional tooling and investment. You know, you've got to actually create the ability to do that. And do you want to do it one time or do you want to have that be an ongoing, you know, you're updating data regularly? So that's going to be one thing to think about. These different organizations vary and how they'll partner. Um, you want to check and see if they support the type of contracts you're interested in. So are they only doing, you know, a, a, a primary care model? Are they doing episode models? Can they support, you know, the situation where you might be in multiple types of models at the same time? So look for that. 
Um, and then think about what part of the contract and life cycle you want help with. Do you just want help up front with that modeling and analysis? Or do you want someone who can then push those contracts into execution and potentially even take it all the way through payment and settlement? So these tools are all evolving and I imagine they each have very ambitious roadmaps, but they're at different stages of development. So you can kind of look to some different capabilities that they might have. And then the last thing I'll say that's a little bit of a gotcha is, do you want them to to help you with existing contracts you already have? Or are you going to only be looking at them to support new contracts that you're going into? Because that's going to actually really affect your implementation timelines. Folks, that's the beauty of our show notes. We'll uh, leave some of these tidbits uh, that Katie has shared around considerations and how to adopt some of these emerging technologies to, to help you and your health system uh, or, or you in the contracts you're putting together with your health system partners. Uh, you know, uh, do it in a way that's thoughtful. Uh, so check out the show notes. We'll also include the the, the post that, that Katie mentioned during our discussion, Emily Walker's post on these topics. And folks, there's opportunities for value-based care today. It's just doing it the right way. And, and Katie, if, if people are curious about getting to know you better and maybe connecting with you, what's the best place they could do that? LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to reach me. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Katie. So folks, we'll leave Katie's information here in the show notes so you could check out the work that she's up to. Uh, reach out to her. Do not stop at just listening. You can get into the rocket too by taking action. So Katie, I want to thank you for taking action and being with us today. Yeah, it was my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Saul. It's a pleasure.